0: Well, good morning, man. You guys are rowdy today. I was surprised. It's like kind of early, right? It was for me when I was in college. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, ten o'clock, ten. Well, what was it? Ten forty now. So, I was the age that some of you are, sophomore in college, when God called me to be a pastor. Uh, it was unexpected, to say the least. Um, I was a college student. Like I said, I was a student at uh, the University of Michigan, actually. Anybody? Fans? Yeah? Wolverines? No? Okay. (laughs) Give me something. Come on. All right. So I grew up in Michigan, so you have to cut me a little bit of a break. So I was a sophomore at University of Michigan, and I was an English major. Is anybody an English major? All right. We got some. You guys are big fans. So for all of you who are not English majors, really what that means is that we're exceptionally good at writing long, long papers about nothing, right? Yes. So we can take the smallest detail and blow it up into this big, long-term paper, and everybody just thinks, yeah, that's really good. You've really analyzed that. So 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 as I was an English major, you know, I I just really fell in love with literature and writing, and I'd always been kind of good at that, and I thought I had a plan for my life. Now, uh, my plan was that I was going to go on to law school after I was an English major, after I graduated from college. Uh, why? I have no idea. I did not really know what a lawyer did, except that I saw on TV that they stand up in the courtroom and they argue, and I was, my parents always told me I was good at that, and uh, and I would, you know, I would... um Really people always told me that I was smart, I had good grades and I didn't want to be a doctor because the blood, you know, that really grossed me out. And so instead I thought, okay, well I'll go do this other thing, you know, make a lot of money, I'm smart, whatever. And you can see how well I thought and planned that out for my life. And so that fall of my sophomore year, which um was let's see. Well, I won't tell you how many years ago today, but very 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 close to this time of year, September, I sat in class, and it was like wasn't one thing, it was a bunch of things, but all of a sudden it really felt sudden to me. I felt like uh, I was something was wrong. Like these things that had made me so excited, you know, so alive, uh, so passionate, were just kind of falling flat. Uh, no no offense to the English majors. For me, that just wasn't my thing. and so I thought, okay, so you know, I, I, my, my, I thought about the end of my life. Um, and I thought at the end of my life, you know, if I spend my life doing this, is this going to be really fulfilling what I'm supposed to be doing in my life, what God called me to do? And, and I realized that no, that, you know, for me, that wasn't the right thing. And so kind of through that whole process, God, led me to realize that he was calling me to be a pastor, something I had never, ever considered before in my entire life. Um, I grew up in church, so I was familiar with pastors. Although, I don't know if you guys noticed, I'm a woman. I'd never seen a female pastor before. (laughs) And so that was a new thing for me. I didn't necessarily think it was wrong, but I just never had seen an example of that. I didn't know that that was something that, that God could call me to do. And so it wasn't too long before I was answering yes to that call i transferred to another college that i could study christian ministries and i did that and uh i i transferred and so i married met my husband married him met him first then married him uh and we moved (laughs) we moved to watertown new york upstate right upstate new york i got all my upstate people not all of them but a lot of them right here and you guys make me feel so good So, and some of some of you guys sitting here were actually in my youth group in Watertown. Yeah, Monty Weaver, Phil McIntosh. Where is he? Is he here? Hey, there he is. All right. So, um, anyway, so I was a youth pastor in Watertown, New York, and I got to do some district NYI stuff. I love the rest of you guys, even if you weren't from Watertown. And and so that was like a really cool thing. And and now, fast forward ten years later, and I'm church planting, and God led me into being kind of a lead pastor, and. This is a great story. Right? <laughs> you know, if you look at, you guys know, um, how on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever you use, I'm really only on Facebook. I can only master one social media platform at a time. If anybody wants to give me an Instagram tutorial, <laughs> I tried. I'm serious. I'm like, I'm so I'm such an old lady. I can't figure out Instagram. But anyway, um, you can look at my Facebook profile and see that things look pretty good, right? You know, we can post pictures of our happy lives and family and all the fun food we eat or whatever. And up until, uh, you know, ministry has its ups and downs. Life has its ups and downs. But up until about nine months ago, I had never looked back on that call. I knew deep down in my gut that that's what God had called me to do was be a pastor. Uh, And about nine months ago was the very first time after 10 years of ministry, that I had really questioned, maybe not, I think deep down I just was wishing that God had not (laughs) called me to be a pastor. I don't know if I really questioned it by the time. I think I did. I think I would have given anything to not have to be a pastor anymore. So, turn with me if you would. Um, I think I'm going to have it up on the slide up here. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. So, if you have your Bible or you want to grab one or you just want to follow along up here. um, We're looking at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4 today. And so, um, if you would, please stand uh, as we read God's word. We're just going to stand in respect and reverence for the word of the Lord. It says, therefore. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. This is the word of the Lord for us today. And you can respond, thanks be to God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Thank you. You may be seated. So... I listened. I did my homework before I came here. I listened to Corey's message on podcast from last Friday. And so I know that you guys were all taking detailed notes when Corey was preaching on Friday and you know exactly what he preached about. Anybody remember? You remember the passage? I'll give you a hint. It's right before the passage we just read. (laughs) He preached out of Hebrews chapter 11. He talked about being a people of faith. And it's kind of cool how God works these things out. Because before I knew that, I had chosen this passage. And so you may have some framework already for this. Hebrews chapter 12, where we read. So I'm just going to go back and give us a very quick review. Because we see, you know, anytime we see therefore... Here's my English major background coming back out, right? So anytime we see therefore here, then we have to say, Well, what does that mean? Like, because of what? Why? And so we go back and we see... Very beginning of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. So the Greek word translated assurance here really has an objective quality. It could almost be translated something like, you know, like you're you're thinking about reality here. So, you know, you can say you have faith about just about anything, right? Like I could walk out of, I could say, I have faith, guys. I have faith that I'm going to walk out of chapel today and the sky is going to be raining ice cream sandwiches on all of us. (laughs) Wouldn't that be awesome if that happened? Um, I just just really believe. I believe that that's going to happen. And so, you know, I just have faith, and I hope, and I want it, and so it's going to happen. That's not quite what the writer of Hebrews is talking about, right? We can't just pick something out of the sky. As far as I know, God did not tell us that the sky was going to be raining ice cream sandwiches. So uh, we can keep praying for that someday. But in the meantime... We have to recognize that when we have faith in something, we got to know what we're putting our faith in. We're putting our faith in something that's real. That something that is that has been that has been spoken in this case by God. The faith in the context talked about here is faith in God's calling, faith that God's promises are true, that they're really going to happen. It gives us assurance about things that we can't see. And so the writer of Hebrews goes into some detailed descriptions ...of the journey of a lot of these biblical heroes of faith. Now, some of you, this may be totally new to you. And all these names in here, Abraham and Noah and Moses, this means not a lot to you. For others of you, you may have grown up in Sunday school or in church or in youth group hearing about these guys and girls. We got a couple girls in there, too. And uh, these are like our heroes of the faith. You know, these are people, if you read through this chapter, these are people that have done extraordinary things... For God, through God, through God's power, right? And so everything sounds really great. They did these massively wonderful things out of faith. So let's skip down verse 32. This is one of my favorite little sections here. After the writer describes all these things, he says, How much more do I need to say but take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets? By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, received what god had promised them they shut the mouths of lions they quenched the flames of fire they escaped death by the edge of the sword their weakness was turned to strength they became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight women received their loved ones back again from the dead that's pretty cool right wouldn't you love for someone to be able to write that about you at the end of your life or after you're gone that by faith you know, you, you overthrew kingdoms, you ruled with justice, shut the mouths of lions. But let's keep on reading, because it's not, uh, that's not the only part of the picture. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. So, hold on a second. Everything wasn't wonderful and fine for them all the time. Things didn't work out exactly as they had planned or hoped. It's easy for us, and I can tell you, God, we, we really need to hear this because I spent my whole life in church. I pra, you know, I prepared to be a pastor. I went to college, all these things. And I can still read these stories of Abraham and Moses and Isaac and all these people and, and gloss over the tough parts, right? Because we know the end of the story for them. We know what happened. We know what God ended up doing. But we have to remember that there were years and years where it didn't seem like those things were going to happen. It's easy for us to look and say... You know, look at that person and well, all the great things they did out of faith. And that's so not happening with me. Um, you know, in 10 years of ministry, I thought that I had seen a lot of things, you know. Uh, we went through some church, church drama, let's call it, in one church that I was a part of. Uh, you know, that even in church, sometimes even if you work in a church, you have a crazy boss or crazy co-workers sometimes. You have financial struggle, you have uh, interpersonal struggles, all the things that we all deal with, church is not exempt from that, because we're all humans. And so I thought I'd seen a lot of things, and as I followed this call to move into this senior pastor role at uh, where, I, where I live now in Lake Placid, I faced reality that things did not work out easy and wonderful without struggle. Now, I realize that me saying that is sort of ridiculous. You know, it's like, I read this, nobody whipped me, nobody put me in jail, (laughs) nobody oppressed or murdered me or my loved ones. And so I don't mean to make light of those who are experiencing that, even today, all around the world. But for me, I felt like I have nothing in common with these people of faith, because obviously I've missed it somewhere. I'm not seeing results. I'm not seeing what I thought God had promised or what God had called me to. Instead, all I'm seeing is uh, doubt and misery and hopelessness in my own heart, as well as in some of the people around me. And I thought that I was supposed to feel like I was doing what God called me to do. And so I begged God to take away this burden, you know. that's really what I felt like it was at the time, was God just let me—I mean, I can't tell you how many times— over a period of a couple of months that I just said, God, I would rather do anything than be a pastor. I would rather, I want you to just change all of this. Just take this away and let me and my family be in peace for a little while. Because when you know you're called to do something, whether it's be a pastor or any other kind of example, it's not just about ministry, uh, you have this this feeling down in your gut that you know you can't get away from, no matter what. And so, as all this time that I was begging God and saying, God, you let me down and this didn't happen the way I thought it was going to, I was reminded that it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't quite work that way. And so I read this passage many times, actually, and I read the story of Abraham and how, uh, how many times God had to remind him of his covenant and his promise and all the struggle that he went through. And then we get to Hebrews chapter 12, which is the passage I just read for us that we read up on the screen a few minutes ago. This gives us some hope. Therefore, right? So therefore, all these men and women that have gone before us and are still going today, many people that, you know, we see around us, they're, they're with us. He, the writer of Hebrews is talking about this huge crowd of people who have gone before us and struggled and suffered, but have also triumphed Not because of them, you know, not not because of what they personally brought to the table necessarily, but because of God, because of how God met them where they were and used them, used their faith, used their, their hearts and their passions and their callings, even to the point of death. So living this life of faith sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes I felt alone, you know, and part of it is, you know, when you're in church planting, like I am right now, um, you don't have necessarily, well, at least I don't necess- I don't have people, uh, like that's a church family around me right now. I have people in an extended church family all over the place, But but in my town where I live, it's just me and my husband and my family, and so sometimes that's easy for me to feel like I'm all alone and No one understands, no one understands what I'm going through. You know, we can feel a little melodramatic about it, right? Does not, not, does not need to be that dramatic. So I've always held this awe in my mind about runners. I have a picture of, this is like the good, put the picture of the good runner up there, if that makes sense. So we have this idea. Yeah, there you go. All right. So anybody, does anybody run at all? Yeah, maybe someone forces you to run if you're in a sports team or something. (laughs) So I've always had this really for a long time. I've had this all in my mind about being a runner. Like it just seems so cool, right? Like look at this, this guy's cool. So he's like flying. I don't think his feet are even touching the ground right now. So, you know, it's impressive like dedication and stamina and what it takes to, you know, finish a marathon or finish a long race or triathlon, anything like that. And so it sounds really cool, right? You can get all the gear and you can get your cool running shoes pay, you know, a bunch of money for it and whatever. And then you get out there and you do it. And you're like, man, running stinks. (laughs) It is no fun. Um, You know, sometimes it feels more like this next couple of pictures that I have up here. There you go. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I look like that a lot of the time when I run. (laughs) Oh, man. This guy, I have to tell you, we have an Ironman in Lake Placid where I live and an Ironman is a triathlon that's like you, I don't even know, you bike, you swim a bunch of miles and you bike a bunch more miles and then you run an entire marathon at the end. And so my husband and I volunteered at the finish line this year uh, and we volunteered in the later part of the day at the finish line, which means you're not having like the pros, you know, that are going to Hawaii and competing in the Ironman World Championships. You're having like regular ordinary people like this guy (laughs) who really just is having a rough time. Uh, (laughs) And so when I started running, so I've been like a fair weather runner for a long time You know, I do it a few times and it's hard and it's not fun And so I just don't, I kind of quit And until the next spring or summer and the leaves are new and the birds are chirping And I say, oh, I'm going to try this again, look at me, I'm running, woo, you know And then I do it a few more times, I say, that's no fun, I'm done Um, I actually had a friend this year when I started that cycle again, like in April or May my friend, because I teach some other, I, te- I do some other dance, fitness stuff. Anyway, so my friend says to me, why are you doing this? You do other things to stay in shape and be active and whatever. Why in the world are you running? Running is terrible. And I said, I really don't know. Like, it is terrible. I don't know why I'm doing it. I, really, I said, if I figure it out, I'll let you know. Um, I'm not sure if I've totally figured it out still. Mostly what I've figured out is that it's fun once you're done. And you can say, like, oh, look at me. I ran four miles today or whatever you know, it's cold. I get, you know, it's, it's cold in upstate New York. And so, um, so I kind of decided I'm going to get serious about my running this year. Right. So of course I've only done that in the summer months where it's not that cold. Um, and so I did, you know, my training, I did some training running and then I entered some short races. I have my first picture here of a 5k, my very first 5k that I did in May. And, uh, it's the picture where like a bunch of people with yellow shirts, if you want to put that up. Um, Except me. (laughs) Because I'm not, I didn't, I think they didn't have my size. I don't know. I didn't get a cool yellow shirt. With, see my friend in the middle, Vanessa, who has even a yellow, like, flower over her face. So... I was just hoping to finish, really. I was like, I just want to run the whole time. I don't want to look like an idiot. You know, there's a bunch of people I know. I live in a small town. A bunch of people I know. I don't want to look like a dummy in front of them. And so I was astonished that I crossed the finish line in what I considered to be a halfway decent amount of time. I was like, man, this was so much easier than I thought. And then again, so then later on, I thought, okay, later in the summer, I guess, I entered a 10K. And I have um, my next picture there of me at the finish line. I really put that up so you can see my cute kids. Ethan and Ellie. There they are. They were very proud of me. And they kept asking me like throughout the course. So that's 10K 6.2 miles. And so my husband's like bringing them to different spots on the course so they could cheer me on and whatever. And every time I ran by them, they were like, mom, are you winning? Are you winning? (laughs) I was like, no, (laughs) mom is definitely not winning. See all those people that passed before I got here. They are winning. I am not winning, (laughs) but, uh, But then they were very concerned that I was, like, you know, going to be in last. They're like, Mom, you're probably going to be in last place. (laughs) Thanks, kids. They're great for your self-esteem. So, (laughs) but I finished, as you can see. And once again, I did pretty well. Like, my time was not as terrible as I thought it was going to be. And so I was talking to a friend who's run a couple marathons. He's running the Chicago Marathon, some other big ones. And I said, I'm so proud. I was feeling all good. You know, I'm like, I'm so proud of myself. Did you see, like I finished this and I did way better. My time was, you know, way better than I thought it was going to be. And, and he kind of looks at me. I don't know if any, if any of you have any experience with this, then you know what I'm about to say, which is when you're in a race, you generally run faster than when you're running by yourself. Did you know that? (laughs) I did not know that honestly and so I thought well this is what I run when I'm by myself so I can expect to do that in the race No, because when you're in the race and you're surrounded by all these people on either side of you And they're in front of you and they're behind you and you're like caught up in the excitement of the whole thing And, you know, for example, in my 10K, I had like this person, a friend of mine that I was running with for a little while and he's faster than me. So he got ahead of me and I was like, I can't let him out of my sight. Like That was what had him. I had that in my mind. Like I have to look at the back of his shirt. I have to keep up at least a little bit. And so that kind of helped motivate me. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews here is talking about. Is we're not running this race alone. He uses this example of a race for a reason. Because we have all these people around us, all these people that have gone before us, um, and all those people that we can look at today even and say, man, we're surrounded. We're not alone. I'm not out here plodding along on the road feeling like I want to die, and if I die, no one will see me because I'm all by myself. (laughs) But instead, the writer says, we're surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith when we're called by god we have no reason to fear we have no reason to be timid whether we run with endurance the race that god has set out for us so what is the race that god has set out for you um you know, I, for a long time, I thought that my race was just being a pastor, you know, uh, it, and calling. I, I, I really associated calling. You know, in church, sometimes I think we make the mistake of elevating this calling to ministry, like above all others. You know, if you're called to ministry, ooh, and if you're called to be like a missionary, ooh, you're even up farther than that, right? But, but the calling has more to do with who God calls us to be as people. And I didn't understand that for a long time. And I started to realize that God doesn't just call me to be pastor, Amanda. God calls me to be um, a person in his image, in his likeness. Just like God calls each and every one of you. I can't speak to what God might be calling you to do, but guys, it's so much bigger than what your major is or what you think your career is going to be once you graduate. Um, it has so much more to do with who God tells you that you are, being a person that looks like Jesus. In this life of faith. In fact, the writer reminds us, run with endurance, the race God has set before us. Okay, so how do we do that? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. We think about all the things that he's gone through. We think about all the things, uh, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And this, this verb that's used here when we talk about keeping our eyes on Jesus means... To look away from all others toward the one. So without Jesus, we can't run this race, you know? So instead of me looking around, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a tendency to compare myself to other people. So I look at some other people and I say, well... Uh, you know, i'm not doing as well as this person over here You know or this person over here seems much more fulfilled and happy in their lives than me And so what's wrong with me and and maybe this person's seeing more success You know, in my case it's in ministry, you know growing your church or whatever And so I look and I say oh man, why can't I be like this person or that person when in reality? the bible says all we need to do is look away from all of that other stuff and keep our eyes on jesus To look at Jesus, who is the person, the champion, who initiates and perfects our faith. So this sense of calling in my life, back to my own little story, as much as I've tried to run from it and tried to cast it aside and, um, and all that, that's what's kept me going, knowing that God has called me to be a woman that looks like him, that looks like Jesus Christ, dealing with the circumstances... ...that lead to a church closing is not easy. Dealing with the aftermath uh, that lead to a church closing... ...as my my little church that I pastored closed down... ...and now we're planting a new one... um, ...is tough. Uh, All of that doubt and all of that kind of stuff... ...was me taking my eyes off of Jesus... ...and looking around at all the things and saying... ...oh God, I don't know if you can really do what you promised. You know, remember, the writer of Hebrews says... ...faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen it gives us assurance about things we cannot see. So in the end, pursuing calling is about having faith. It's about being a person of faith. Faith that the God who called you to run your race, whatever that is, whatever that is even for right now for you, um, is going to continue to sustain you. It's going to continue to give you all the things that you need to run that race and to persevere. And to keep going when things are tough and when people are doubting you and when, when you feel bad and when life is messy and things don't turn out the way that you thought they would. So my question for you that I want to kind of leave you with is, what is your race? What race are you called to run? Um, what is God calling you to do or to be? And will you answer that call? Whatever that is, will you answer that? Will you be a person who loves God, who loves other people? Will you be a person who makes other disciples of Jesus Christ? Because all of us are called to do that if we've placed our faith in Jesus. Be the man or the woman that God has called you to be today. And you're running your race knowing that one day you're going to cross that finish line that you have the hope of, um, of Christ, knowing that you're not going to be alone, you're surrounded, and uh, that God is going to do what he calls. God is going to do what he promises. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you this morning, and we just, we just want to take a few moments and consider what it is that you might be calling us to do or to be. Um, we want to give you all of ourselves, Lord, body, mind, soul, heart, strength. Lord, help us to take our eyes off of the things around us that may weigh us down, the things that entangle, help us to leave our sin and the things that keep us away from you behind and focus wholly and fully on running that race that you have called us to run. All right, so as we go from this place... May we run with endurance the race that God has set before us. May we keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Go in peace.